BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, y'all. I'm Jacqueline Coley. Have you just been waiting for Mrs. Hughes to sit down and rest for a minute already? Well, put your feet up. This is Downton Abbey, the official podcast. Downton Abbey, the official podcast, is a brand new weekly rewatch show, the place to be for all things related to Downton Abbey, the TV series, movie, and now, finally, the upcoming film, Downton Abbey, A New Era. I'm Jacqueline Coley, editor at Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm going deep with your favorite Downton Abbey stars about their characters and how they came to be, going all the way back to the iconic moments of season one. Later in the series, my co-host, Anita Rani, will chat with more creators, stars, and members of the Downton Abbey crew about the new movie. Today on the show, I'm talking with Scottish actor Phyllis Logan about playing the person who keeps Downton Abbey running, the housekeeper, Mrs. Hughes. When I think of Mrs. Hughes, well, I told her this, but her voice is just so ingrained in my brain as kind of this Downton soundtrack. I talked to Phyllis Logan on Zoom from her sofa, which looked so cozy, and she even had this zebra blanket on the back of it, and when I asked her about it, she imitated what she thought a zebra sounds like. Very unlike Mrs. Hughes, I think we can safely say, but... Phyllis honestly seemed up for anything. I started by asking her whether she had ever imagined Downton could be such a hit back when she was cast. Well, I wish I could say yes. I completely predicted it, but of course not. None of us in a month of Sundays could have have foreseen what was round the corner. Um, even when I first got the scripts, there were terrific scripts. We just got three to start with. And at that point, I think Maggie Smith was already on board. And also it had been written by Lord Fellows, Julian Fellows, who was already by that time an Oscar winner for his screenplay of Gosford Park. So really it was ticking boxes But of course, we couldn't have possibly foreseen that it would become so dear to the hearts of many, many Americans. That's when it went crazy bonkers and and we were all getting treated like we were the Beatles on tour. (laughs) What was that moment when you realized okay, this is bigger than, than I thought. What was that? Was it, was it when people started talking to you on the street or was there somebody who I maybe s- reached out that you're like, this person watches the show? Well, there's, there's a couple of, of things. I remember when they first got nominated for Golden Globes and I thought, oh, this is, this is even on the radar for a Golden Globe, amazingly. And then when it started to actually get the prizes um I thought wow and then of course when one of my lovely fans <laughs> showed me her tattoo of my chatelaine my set of keys <laughs> that she got tattooed on her hip oh my I gosh. thought oh gosh 
<laughs> These people are serious. <laughs> <laughs> no truer words were ever spoken. When you see a tattoo that it's not even like, like your visage, this is even more like of a deep cut. Yeah, and you know, people are absolutely serious. And I so I love that she she put the housekeeper's keys because that was such a huge part of the character. It was it was in some ways like it felt like her sword if she was a knight. Like this is what what gives you your power. And yes. yeah, go ahead and talk about that. No, it was my favorite prop. Um, and everybody keeps saying, and did you take your keys? No, of course I didn't take my keys. That would be theft <laughs> apart from anything else. But also we never knew everything gets put into storage because we just don't know, you know, mm-hmm. what it might resurge again. So all the props, all the costumes, they get all put into storage. But it's interesting you talk about my Chatelaine because I, the minute I, I got that on my my side I just thought that's it I'm I'm her I mean obviously the wig and the corset and everything else helped but um but because you're talking about the first series yeah and of course I think the first look of me in the opening titles was just me and my keys walking yes. along the corridor that is where she divines her authority in so many places. And the most interesting and I think memorable moments from season one was this moment of hesitation when we wondered if she wanted to give those keys up uh, when your former suitor reappears. And Ooh. you know what I mean? <laughs> and Elsie, like the like just the idea that we heard Elsie and, and we are even at that point early on, we're taken aback about the idea of her having a first name and a past and a possible fiance. Talk about that. I thought that was a, well, such a great way to, to, to frame the character well, early on. It, it came as a complete surprise to me because of course, unlike a lot of American series, uh, we don't have a trajectory. So you don't get a Bible saying, okay, season one, this is what happens to your character with pointers here, there. This is what happens in number two. This is what happens now. We don't get any of that. We just, every episode was like, wow. It was like Christmas time. You know, <laughs> we would get a new episode and think, I wonder what happens yeah. in this one. And so it was a complete surprise to discover, a delightful surprise, I must say, to discover um, that I had had a life previous to that and I think it's nice for the audience too when they see that there's more to the character you know it's a bit like children with their parents you know when they see pictures of them dressed as hippies back in the day I'm talking about myself here and you know they think oh they they were young once and they did have a a really fun life Um, and I think that was nice it was nice for me to be able to, to do that. And it was nice to know that, you know, she's got a back history and that she had, she had known love. Um, and which, of course, sets the scene for maybe future love to come her way again. Yeah. It's funny that you say you guys didn't have a Bible, that it wasn't written out, which, again... The, it was probably all bouncing around uh, Lord Fellows's head, Absolutely, but yes. it, you guys didn't know about it because he set the seeds 
for Carson and Mrs. Hughes, even in this early episode, because his sort of Carson's shock and a little bit of panic at the yeah. idea that you may leave. The first time I watched it, I thought, oh, well, he said because that's his colleague and she knows what she's doing and all yeah. of the like more practical aspects. But by the time we get to season five and four, it's like, oh, no, he like <laughs> when he was shining the silver in the end of this episode singing to himself. That's exactly what I was going, God, you're reading my mind too. <laughs> um, yeah, when I when it was discovered that I didn't have breast cancer after all and, uh, and I was fine, clean yeah. bill of health, yeah. and he's dashing away with a smoothing eye. Yes. That, was the, that was the point that yes. I realised. I wonder if, if Julian's got something up his sleeve. Yeah. Um, and... Sure enough, he did. But of course, the, the the fans kept saying, "Oh, when are Mr. Carson and Mrs. Hughes going to get together?" And I thought it was quite sweet and a bit encouraging that all people of all ages, youngsters to whatever age, would be interested in a potential romance between post middle aged old duffers. Oh. Do you know what I mean? And I thought that was so lovely that um it wasn't just that love is not just for the young ones it's for the oldies as well Carson and Mrs. Hughes are probably the most romantic and dear couple within the show like yes Sybil and Branson we all know and Mary for all of her suitors and obviously you know Bates and Anna but the the Carson and Mrs. Hughes one it's it's precious I think for Downton fans and I think it was because of how much that we cared about them individually. Well, also the butler w- was generally never married. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly the housekeeper, even though they always have the nomenclature misses, um, as in Mrs. Patmore as well. If you get to a certain age in a certain hierarchy within the downstairs, you you adopt misses as a title, mm-hmm. not miss. Um, but it was very highly unusual in fact probably never happened that they got married that was it you were in service and certainly as far as the butler and the the housekeeper were concerned they'd reached the top of their profession Mm. and you know had a lot of clout in the village and local area and so that was their lot and they you know they um generally accepted that but so I thought it was nice that Julian put that little twist on it that, um, you know, we were going against the trend, you know, that yeah. we were bucking the trend. <laughs> but um, I think it was Robert, you know, Lord Grantham who said, thank God he's going to be Carson and she's going to be Mrs. Hughes. Yes, that's because- right. Because- <laughs> It was too confusing to be calling me Mrs. Carson. (laughs) I have a feeling that was probably also Lord Fellows just trying to be like, hey, I don't want to change this in my my scripting either. Like, I want to keep these characters the same. Um, No, and also it would be, I I know that Anna became Mrs. Bates, but then she was always called Anna. So um, it would just be weird. Suddenly Mrs. Hughes (laughs) becomes Mrs. Carson. So yeah. I'm glad that he kept my own name, as indeed I have kept my own name. Yeah. You know, hey, she marriage. Was, even back then, a bit of a trendsetter and a rebel. <laughs> I think so. I think so. She has got that in her for sure. 
what would you say are your sort of overlaps between you well, and Miss Mrs. Hughes? Or yes, even, no, you know, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I mean, when I first read for the part, um, I was asked, and if she was meant to be from Yorkshire, where most of the other, mm. well, it's set, it's meant to be in Yorkshire outside Ripon, which is mm. a little town out there in Yorkshire. And so all of the staff mostly were meant to be northern Yorkshire, specifically. Uh, but then they, you know, I read the part and they said, well, could you maybe try it with your own accent? Because it's really nice. And I said, well, funnily enough, I've, I've tried that at home. And um, it seemed to, you know, work quite well with the, quite well with the dialogue. Anyway, then it transpired that they wanted me to do the job and they said, and can you do it with your own accent? So, which was great for me because I was able to tap into, I mean, obviously Edwardian Victorian period is well before my time, but there were a lot of elderly women in my childhood, mm. be it grandmas who'd lived during those times and older friends of my grandparents. And I did draw on, on some of their characteristics for Mrs. Hughes, the fact that she could be quite blunt mm. and, but she had, a, she has a humor about her as well, which is nice that, that, um, that Julian writes that in too, yeah. her odd, off-the-cuff remark um, in a very sort of biting way, but it's done with a, a heart as well. And I I did draw on a lot of these older people from my childhood to, to play that part. And so that was very helpful, I suppose. I could have done the same if I'd been playing at Yorkshire, but it was just nice that I'd, I'd got those... I'd got those memories and those voices in my in my mind and in my head when I was embarking upon her. <laughs> That's really great that it was there from the beginning. One of the things with Mrs. Hughes and with some of the other ones, but specifically with Mrs. Hughes and Mr. Carson, is they have to live as they are in both sides. So Anna downstairs is very different than Anna when she's um, with Lady Mary or when she yeah. was just uh, a housemaid. But for Mrs. Hughes and Mr. Carson, in a lot of ways, they have to kind of be the same, um, but they have to be also drastically different. Yeah. And I was just curious if you talked about how you made that shift, because from like the way she walks upstairs to the way she speaks downstairs, there's little subtle differences. Well, this is... This is what uh, both Jim and I always say, Jim Carter, Mr. Carson. Our, a lot of our favourite scenes were when it was just he and I, or possibly Mrs. Patmore might get involved, sitting either in his office or in Mrs. Hughes's pantry, having a wee sherry or a cup of tea. And just almost like, it felt to me like, almost taking the corsets off and mm. sitting back and relaxing and talking the day over and about what was been going on. And then I felt then they could, she and he could be more themselves than yeah. at, at any other time. Taking off the mask almost um, and just, you know, taking a deep breath and 
acknowledging the days, events and whatever. It's so interesting that you put that. It's only with the three of each other because if they were with the family, that adds a different dynamic. And if you're with anyone else who essentially is your employees in a lot of ways, like you're their boss. Um, yeah, that's- I know you have to keep- so it was, it's lovely and it was nice that Julian wrote those sort of scenes into it where you could see them in another guise, you know, with, like I say, the masks off and, you know, the corsets off. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> you wish. I- I've seen the show a million times. I've seen those scenes. I can think of specific ones um, with groupings of that whether it be Carson and Mrs. Padmore you and Mrs. Padmore I can think of all the scenes and I've never thought of them that way yeah in the sense of like this is probably as as unguarded as they can get inside the house what's interesting also in season one is Bates trying to combat um his disability with those braces and it was Mrs. Hughes who was the one to really sort of tell him like this is this is silly you shouldn't Uh be trying to pretend and I think it was very interesting because it goes to her she's always watching everything not just the house though the people that are in it yes no that was quite a nice moment because I remember when he got these sent away for these calipers Mm. and then I made him chuck them in the lake and Brendan he's very witty he makes me laugh and as he was throwing them in he said and what was that (laughs) and I said I don't know he said Excalibur oh my gosh (laughs) so I'm I'm a fan for a good pun but that is that is top notch. <laughs> a lady of the lake pun at that. Like, oh, let's yes, go. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's also interesting, too, though, because that sort of like watchful eye that she has also means that she's the first one to know about trouble, which is such a dichotomy to Carson, who seems obviously very in charge, but completely oblivious to most things. Yes. No. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Hughes, um, yeah, she uses her head in a lot of ways, but her heart comes into it as well. Whereas with Mr. Carson, um, you don't see a lot of, when I say heart, he's a decent man. But until he actually proposed to to Mrs. Hughes, you, you know, you might have thought that he was just this bluff, old duffer who didn't have feelings although that's not necessarily true because you've talked about him dashing away with the smoothing iron when he knew I was okay and various things like that but by and large he has a very stiff upper lip yes um, stuffed shirt sort of appearance but yeah Mrs Hughes is I mean she's a she's a good housekeeper because it's up to her to keep the her her people happy you know, yeah. as well as try and sort out their problems or if they're overshooting the mark, um, come down on them a bit. A bit like, you know, when we had the um, the war, when the officers came to the... And I had to sack poor old Ethel yeah. because she was caught in flagrante with one of the officers. But then she also helped her. Then know? she helped her, I know, yeah. because... It's the maternal side of her. The yes. dynamic stays the same, even though they're employees and employer as far as 
the, the house structure, the way Carson and Mrs. Hughes sort of embody it, it's very much paternal and maternal, like even underneath I know it. the, the mommy and the daddy of the yeah. downstairs. I often think it's such a shame that she never had any children herself. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, I think she would have been rather a lovely mum. A bit, you know, a bit like our housekeeping act, firm but fair, but I think she would have got a lot of enjoyment out of, you know, being That's a That's an interesting question. And I think we're going to chat about the what if of Miss of Mrs. Hughes. Like, the what if she if. wouldn't have gone into service? What if she, you know, maybe wasn't the woman of her time, but of a different one? But before mm-hmm. we go to that, though, it's funny you mentioned that, that Carson was stiff because... Is this correct? Like you were the only person of the downstairs that had to wear a corset. Yes. Um, We all started off in corsets, not the men, obviously, but um, the women, all of us started off in 2010 wearing corsets. Gradually, as the years progressed, I'd be like, who? To Leslie. She said, no, I've not got a corset on, which was kind of fair enough because she wears, you know, her apron and it's, you know, you can hardly tell whether she's got one on or not. Yeah. And then I realised Maggie wasn't wearing a corset anymore. And then slowly Penelope Wilton ditched hers. And then I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? (laughs) But yeah, I have to say, I think given the style of it because um, Anna Robbins, our wonderful costume designer, designs these fantastic costumes for us all. And I love my, everybody says you must have envy, you know, upstairs envy of all the lovely costumes. And yes, I can appreciate them, but I do love wearing my, my, and even with the corset, I think that's what makes it, that's what tops it off really, because it does give you a certain posture, a certain stance and makes you feel, you know, strong. So yeah. I think, you know, it's so I part- think it's still in storage. <laughs> no one swiped it quite yet. Um, <laughs> what's interesting, though, it is it's a part of it. And as you talked about it earlier, it's the it's the bits of the costuming and the and then when you feel like you have the look where you could embrace the character. I talk to actors all the time where they say that they're like, you know, I put on these pairs of shoes this day or they put me in this dress with this uh, hair piece and I knew that I was the person. Yes. Well, that's that's very much like how I feel about Mrs. You know, I, I go in at half five, six o'clock in the morning, you know, just out of the shower, no makeup, looking a bit tired and bedraggled. And then, you know, after about an hour, the wig's on, the minimal makeup is on. <laughs> whatever it's, it's only really just to, you know, cover up the blemishes. Um, and then the costume and finally my chatelaine. And yeah. it all just comes together. You think, wow, I'm, I'm Mrs. Hughes again. I love that. And, and I'm sure that was just such an interesting moment to get geared up with it when you guys came back for the film, because that was like a significant time difference. Like if you think about when you first put it on that back in maybe, I guess getting ready 2009 was probably when you guys were shooting it. And then now literally having it going to be 
seen again, but putting it on again and, you know, I know. Well, the first film was such fun because we, I suppose it'd been like three years probably since we finished. It it is like going back to school after a very extended summer holiday and seeing everybody. There are a few of the cast that I keep in regular contact with uh, in any case, but it was just lovely for us all to come together again. It felt like a real, you know, Christmas birthdays, everything thrown into one. It was um, it was a great reunion. It's great that I love hearing how you guys stay in regular contact. But one thing I think is interesting, and we have to go when we talk about season one, is the character of O'Brien because still to this day, <laughs> like it, oh, it was so hard. I think, and it just it's such a testament to oh. the way Julian wrote it and the way she played it, but. Mrs. Hughes, nothing. she was one of the few people that clocked O'Brien for what she was early. Yes, I think so. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's a testament to, because Siobhan Finneran, who's, who played the character, is a phenomenal actress. And she's been doing all sorts of wonderful things post-Downton. She's fantastic. And I think she's got awards and all sorts, quite yeah. rightly too, because she's such an amazing actress. Um, but yes, <laughs> it was funny that it was almost she almost she always said, you know, I feel like I'm in pantomime, you know, being the evil witch in, the, in pantomime, which, you know, to a certain extent is true. But she gave it reality and truth, which which took it away from being, you know, yeah. just a sort of two dimensional piece yeah. of work. You know, she really did give it. And I thought some of her storylines were really great um, in, in her bantering with, with um, our now um, butler, who's taken yeah. over from Mr. Carson. Oh, my um, gosh, yes. I know. <laughs> um, and they had a great, Rob, James Collier, they had a great partnership in the show. Yeah. No, that was the, that was, again, when you think especially about, Rob's character like evolving yes. throughout the series. Um, if you would have told me in season one that he would literally be in some way sort of the heart of the show and now Butler, I would be like, well, I don't know what show you're watching. <laughs> but that is not down Navi. Who wrote well, that? But that's the great you, thing. Wait till you see the next movie. I'm saying nothing, but there you go. Oh, oh. <laughs> you know what? You got me on that one. Uh <laughs> Since we have you here, and it's sort of like being in a room with Mrs. Hughes' Oracle in a lot of ways, and something that is character you've obviously thought about a lot, let's just, if she wasn't Mrs. Hughes, but more importantly, if she lived now, what do you think she would be doing? Wow. Well, you know, she's a funny one, really, because uh, there's a lot of dichotomy going on, because on the one hand... She's very strong, quite forceful. I think she would be like, I think, I mean, I know that the suffragette movement was happening at the time anyway, but I think if she hadn't been in service, she'd have thrown herself behind that, you know, upfront feminist and yeah. writing books and going on marches and, and you know. <laughs> I could see that. 
maybe starting you know refuges for yeah, for yeah, women yeah. and children you know I think she might have gone down that route you know in a million years that is not what I would have thought of but the, when you said it immediately I was like yeah like I would have thought <laughs> like she would and actually be what um the the dowager countess's butler like she would be maybe writing a column like that like how to yes. keep a better house yeah such right. that's where my like crazy no <laughs> no I'm liking I'm liking that very much yes almost like an agony aunt yeah but also with some some good tips on how to clean your toilets without using bleach or you know Lime and vinegar, lemon and vinegar, always. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like the, the tricks of like, I used to, you know, um, well, I guess she wouldn't have been there, but I still feel she would have uh, understood about running a household. Yeah. Like if she was an no, organized enough an, person to do that. Yes, I think so. She doesn't necessarily get her hands dirty, as yes. you notice. Yeah. She's good at delegating. I think um, the last sort of question. I mean, and it's a bit of a, a question, but I'm, I'm guessing, I think I know the answer is it just seems like this can keep going on. Like, it seems like all of you guys are just like signed up to keep going. And it's crazy <laughs> to me to th- to say that, like, I realize the presumptiveness of like, you've gotten oh. plenty, but it does seem like you guys still as busy and as big and everyone in the cast has done some incredible things while they were on the show before and after um that you guys still all kind of want to come back and I'm just curious as to why you think that is and if I'm right in my assertion that I think you guys will keep doing this until they tell you you can't well it certainly has a very special place in my heart and and I'm sure that applies to the majority of the cast and we certainly when the first film was muted and it came about and we were all absolutely cock-a-hoop and thrilled and giddy with excitement. And then there was a possibility of a number two and we were like, oh yeah, we want to do it. We definitely want to do another trip. Now we've done that, of course, and that was is equally as exciting. In fact, I, I had such fun during this one as well. So if people ask, would you do another one? I'd be like, I'd be first in the queue, you know, to get the corset <laughs> on, please. <laughs> um, and and I've spoken to some of my colleagues and they're exactly of the same mind. You know, in an ideal world, wouldn't it be great to say, yeah, we'll meet one for one every two years for the next 10 years. <laughs> uh, yes, that's it. She said it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm quoting her as gospel <laughs> and truth from now on. End the interview. <laughs> don't let her respond no um <laughs> Phyllis, this was such uh fun I so enjoyed going down a little bit of the memory lane of well thank one. you for taking me down it was nice to revisit those old uh, things which are you know a lot of the time you just forget about it because there's so many episodes and so much cr- happened um <laughs> since the beginning that you do forget certain things so it's nice to be to be led back there again so thank you thank you so much to phyllis logan i just wanted to sit with her for hours and keep chatting when we were all on the zoom we witnessed the light go from late afternoon tea time where she was in the uk to evening 
and it made everything that we said feel more intimate. All right, hang on everyone. We're not quite done with today's episode. Let's bring back my co-host, Anita Rani. We met her back in episode one, and Anita's gonna get you ready for the new movie, Downton Abbey, A New Era, by talking with many of the people involved in the making of the film. Hey, Anita. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's so nice to be back. Okay, this is super exciting because there is a new Downton film coming out. Downton Abbey, a new era. And so this, um, I'm taking, I'm, we're handing over the reins to me. Jacqueline, thank you very much. And um, we have got a podcast series all about the new film. We talk to cast, crew, producers, Julian Fellows, the writer, new director, Simon Curtis, Dominic West, who's <sighs> a new character in it. Um, and, it, and I, I'm, I've been, I'm in a very privileged position because I have read the script of the new film and it is so good. So good. So shall I bring you up to speed on what's going on? I mean, I know you know, but... Sort of set the stage for where we find folks in this this first part of the new film. This is set in 1928 and lots of things are happening. And we have Lady Mary is very much in charge of uh, Downton. She, is, she has taken the reins. But, you know, the upkeep on these big stately homes uh, costs an arm and a leg mm. and it's falling into disrepair. There is a leaky roof and they need to be able to finance running this big, big property, mm. uh, their legacy that they're, they're, they're custodians of. So what they do is they invite Hollywood into town because Hollywood has money. And so now you have a whole new royalty arriving in the form of Hollywood actors. And what's interesting is we have one character played by Dominic West called Guy Dexter, who is a British actor who goes to Hollywood, finds fame and fortune, and then returns to Britain. And of course, now you have the upstairs downstairs situation where the people downstairs are going to be serving these Hollywood actors, but mm -hmm. they're not they're not lords and ladies. So so you have this whole brilliant, very clever uh, questioning yeah. status, you know, who is really worthy of being served at a table and all of that. And then at the same time, what's happening at this uh, in this time is travel is opening up. People are free to move around the planet and take holidays, which we now take for granted or we did pre-pandemic. Um, mm. But back then it was a very new thing. And so we find half of our cast in the south of France. Yes, we did. We could tell by the outfits. They were definitely not at home, I think, in one of those trailers. And this is a brilliant storyline because um, well, I don't know how much I want to give away, actually. I don't think you need to. I mean, I think you've given away plenty. Yeah. Like we go to the south of France. They're in. They're in. <laughs> and Carson's there. So now you've got Carson trying to be a butler in the south of France. And of course, because he's terribly British, he's not going to take he's not going to take his suit off. Yeah. So you've got comedy, we've got heart, we've got storyline, and we've got uh, two locations, two fabulous locations. Oh, I love that. I mean, Carson, it, it took 
all of the love that he had <laughs> for Mrs. Hughes to get the man Aww. to take off his socks and go walk on the beach. So exactly. I, I'm I'm uh, totally understanding that he might be a little bit uh, uncomfortable with everything. Um, the thing that you got to do, which I'm very jealous of, is you got to talk to some of the people behind the scenes, like the crafts people. Like, like so tell me about that, because I love, love, love the movie making part of movie making. Yeah, the attention to detail. And I'm obsessed with the costumes. Absolutely yeah. obsessed. So I needed to know the the level of detail and research that goes into those items. And they are some of them are vintage. Wow. In fact, the wedding dress that Lily James wore um, was a vintage original wedding dress that they oh, wow. had sourced for her to wear. So somebody would have worn that on their wedding day. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's just absolute. And then also in this this one, it, there's the attention to detail is around um, the camera equipment that they would have used at that in that era. Wow. So they had this insane setup uh, where they had a film crew filming Downton and a film crew within the film crew within yeah. the film crew. You can see the whole thing. Um, yeah. So, the, the, you know, there's just so much um, that goes into making sure that it is true to how it would have been. And also, this film was filmed during the pandemic. That's what's crazy about it. The first one was filmed prior to the pandemic. And I just think of all of the orchestrations yeah. that goes into just like a Downton dinner scene, but you're having to add all the COVID on top of that. It's crazy that they did it, but just looking at the trailer, I think we're, the fans are going to be excited about it. I want to ask, uh, can I ask you a question though? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there's just something, what from the world of Downton do you wish you had in today's world, Jacqueline? Oh me. Yeah. I don't think anybody ever asked me. Oh, that's right. Cause I asked everybody else. So the thing I do want from the world of Downton, and it's not saying that I need this, but I think ladies can appreciate courtship was straightforward. <laughs> Somewhat like, yes, it was weird in the sense of like class structure for Sybil and Branson to get together, obviously. But she knew dude's interested. He asked you to date. You know what I mean? Like, like you can tell when a man is interested there is a purpose behind it. Like just the idea of like, you know where you stand with the other member of your preferred <laughs> sexual interest is bonkers in modern society. We are like ninjas and covert <laughs> spies to make sure no one knows that we actually like somebody. As, an, as a British Indian, like, you know, I mean, I'm, I've basically spent my entire life having to break down that system. It's like, it's okay. I can find my own partner. <laughs> I'm really fine. But I do feel like we could do, I could hook you up. Don't worry. Yeah, if you no. want someone direct, I can hook you up with my mum. And she, <laughs> she will get me matched she'll, up. She'll get oh. you matched up in no time. Well, um, I'm going to tell you if my Southern mother hasn't bullied me into it at this point, I give her credit if she can. <laughs> Very similar, I will tell you, in the thoughts on upbringing. But yeah, it's not that I want to have it done for me, but I no. do like the idea that if you're interested in someone, in that time period, there were specific things you did. Yes. Like there was like a dance to courtship and it yeah, was nice. laid out. These were the ins and the outs. Everybody knew the balls and strikes and you didn't have too many people going rogue. And if they did, it was Sybil and Branson just maybe putting the players differently, but how they went about coming together is the same. Yes. I like that. 
Anita, this was so much fun. I feel like uh, we could talk about this world. And honestly, I think anything (laughs) for hours. This was just a blast. I really loved it. I am so happy that the fans of this podcast and the fans of the show have you to guide them through this next chapter as we head into a new era. And I hopefully will get to continue talking about the show and the series for many more chapters to come. Thank you, Jacqueline. I think the baton has been passed over. Well, friends, it's been great to host these five episodes, and I can't wait to hear what Anita and her guests have to say. Thank you all so much for being on this Downton Abbey journey with me. Downton Abbey, the official podcast, is a production of Focus Features, Limina House, and Gobsmack Studios. Executive producer, Diantha Parker. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And finally, don't miss Downton Abbey, A New Era, the much-anticipated cinematic return of the global phenomenon that reunites the beloved cast as they go on a grand journey to the south of France to uncover the mystery of the Dowager Countess's newly inherited villa. Downton Abbey, A New Era, only in theaters this spring. I'm Jacqueline Coley, and the last word today belongs to Phyllis Logan, who gave us her thoughts on more Downton Abbey movies. I had such fun during this one as well. There was some great stuff in it, so I'm sure it'll go down a treat. And, of course, never say never to quote another film icon, James Bond. Did he ever say that even? I don't know.